Welcome to the podcast of Revival Life Church, a spirit-filled multicultural church in Boca Raton, Florida. If you would like more information about Revival Life Church or Pastor Carl Thomas, you can find us on the web at revivallife.church. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hello, I am Carl Thomas. Hi, thank you for, for welcoming me. I appreciate that. I'll be your lead pastor here today. We're going to crack the Bible open in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. I'm glad somebody's happy. Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to read the Word of God today. I, I um, This probably isn't the way to start a service. Uh, but um, I was... Uh, it was a... Uh, gosh, I, I shouldn't have gone down this road, but I'm here already. I was... Um, there's a there's a, a preacher I was listening to. I enjoy his content, good stuff. Wrote some good books, and I was listening to a message that he preached recently. And uh, I was like, man, this is great. This is really good. Lots of information, lots of content. Man, this is so good. I'm like, yes, I haven't actually heard any Bible verses yet, though. I'm just, what 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 are we doing here? And uh, he's talking and quoting theologians, which is good, and philosophers, which is good, and quoting all kinds of stuff. I'm like, this is great, but um about the Word of God. Let's, how, about we, how about we crack open the Word? And um, I, before we get in the Word, I want to tell you there, there's basically, there's two ways um, um, to utilize the Scriptures in service. And I want to inoculate you from the misuse of the sacred text. Okay? So there's one way um, is where you have a point, and you may believe Holy Spirit gave it to you, you may believe God breathed it, or you may have sense the needs of your community or the community out large and you said this is something I really need to address and so you put together a talk and then you pull from the scriptures to talk about this thing that you want to talk about that, that that's that's one way um, the other way is that you actually teach the Bible that you get in the word you find out what the word says and then you preach the word you teach the word of God to the people so one way the Bible is a tool to do what I want to do. The other way is we come to the sacred text to see what God has to speak. And then we teach that. Does that make sense? And so it's really easy. Like I want your ears to hear when people are teaching the word. Are they teaching the word or are they telling you the word says I'm right? It's subtle. It's subtle but it's important. Am I using the Bible as a tool to get where I want to go? Or am I going where the Bible says the direction is, right? So, so it's, it's subtle. Um, but I want you to be aware of it. And what we're trying to do at Revival Life Church is um, in the last probably two years, we've tried to make a real subtle shift um, and be very purposeful in, in teaching the Word of God, teaching the Word of God wherever it goes, um, and trusting that God will lead us to Jesus, which is where we're trying to get, amen? Because what gets someone saved is what you got to do to keep them saved. And so if you're, you're saved because of my gift, then my gift has to be, uh-uh. No, no, the Word. The Word points to Jesus. You want to teach somebody, oh, I don't know how to tell them. Teach them the Bible. Just, just, just teach them the Bible. And, uh, with, you know, say you, your life falls apart, they still got the Bible. Amen? That's a good word right there. Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 1. I'm going to read a little bit of a lengthy bit of scripture, but um, I read somewhere in the Bible, it says when you come together, read the word out loud. And, and so we're just going to go ahead and do what the Bible said. Amen. Amen. 
Amen. Amen. Ephesians 2, chapter 1, he says, Paul is talking to the church in Ephesus. He says, You were dead in your offenses and sins in which you previously walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all previously lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath just as the rest but God being rich in mercy because of his great love which he loved us even when we were dead in wrongdoings you got to help me out Isabella I'm, I'm all over the place here verse 5 even when we were dead in our wrongdoings made us alive together with Christ by grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the boundless riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not of yourselves it is the gift of God this is the Word of God thanks be to God amen and amen. Thank you, Mikey. Amen, amen, amen. Yeah. Great, great worship today, Mike. Appreciate that. Cecia, team, great worship. Let us. I enjoyed that greatly. We have been in this message series talking about the talking back to the enemy. We're talking about basically the, the, the point of our message here is we don't want to be slaves of darkness. Whoops, sorry about that. We don't want to be slaves of darkness. What we want to do is be engaged and we live victorious in this fight that we have that we may or may not know that we're involved in. I think the mics might still be on because I hear them echoing, but if I'm not echoing, I'm good. Hallelujah. And so what we have said as we have tried to create a bit of a paradigm for this battle is we have said that there is a war happening over our souls. There's a fight or a war that's happening over our souls. And, and we recognize that the entire world is involved in this war. And I would be remiss if I talked about war this morning without talking about a real war that started out just yesterday in Israel. And I have no desire to act like a Middle East expert. I don't want to tell you this and that, but I do know the Bible says that we are to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And I don't know the answer to peace in Jerusalem. I am not that guy. Amen? And apparently nobody else is either, right? Because we've been trying this for a long time. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray for the peace of Jerusalem real quick, if you don't mind. Posture your heart in prayer, if you would, please. Father, in the name of Jesus, we know that there are flawed humans all over that region and that you knew that there would be flawed people and you told us Lord Jesus to pray for the peace of Jerusalem and in obedience to your words to us today we ask pray out loud we ask right now Lord Jesus for peace we pray that no one would perish any further we don't know we have no idea how peace can come about but I didn't know how I could have peace with God but Jesus came along and made that peace so I pray in the name of Jesus that they would turn to Jesus and have peace come in the Middle East peace that would be so miraculous that people would see that you are God but father we ask for peace and that it would end in Jesus' name, everybody said, 
amen, amen, amen. And, and so as we talk about this warfare that we are involved in, we have talked about there are three areas that our warfare is in. We've talked about that it's in the world. We talked about how it's in the flesh. And we've talked about how we fight the devil, right? I was expecting you to help me out on those because I've said them so much, but I will continue to say them every week. We're fighting the world, the flesh, and, and the devil. Very good. Very good. And, and, and a, as a matter of recap, let's just, let's just take a little quick look here in the scriptures as we go through this and we see uh, the world and we see this all over the Bible. I mean, it is all over the Bible, these three areas of warfare. In, in today's reading, we see the world where, where, where Paul said, you walked according to the course of this world. This was his, this was his accusation against the church in Ephesus, that the world has normalized sin, and you look just like them. Now, Paul's not saying that we're not supposed to be involved in the world, that we're not supposed to understand the world, we're not supposed to have friends with the world. I remember when I was in a, a church that was uh, kind of a holiness church, kind of a we're not of the world, we would brag that the, that the, that the music awards would come on, and I don't know anybody in these music awards, and, and uh, we would brag about that, and now I'm thinking, wow, you don't understand the culture you say you want to reach. Not necessarily something you want to brag about right? We, we, there is the world out there and we need to understand the world so that we can speak the language of the world so we can tell them they desperately need Jesus. But we're not supposed to be of the world and we're not supposed to look like the world. And, and then we talked about the flesh. And, and as, as Paul continues in his discourse here, he says, we too all previously lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature children of wrath. We don't talk about wrath much these days. We don't talk about the wrath of God. We don't talk about punishment. We don't talk about judgment, all of which are in scriptures. We don't talk about hell a lot here because heaven has so much good news to it. We tend to focus on the great news of Jesus Christ and how we can spend eternity with him in heaven. But the Bible does tell us that there, 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 there is a choice to be made. There is a choice to be made. And, um, and, and I, I want to choose life. Uh, and and there, is, there is wrath that comes upon sin. And the truth is, the majority of the wrath that comes upon us comes in this life when we make bad choices. When we live sinful lives, we live under wrath. You're like, oh, is God punishing me? I have people ask me that all the time. Like, I did this thing, is God punishing me? And, I'm, and I tell them almost invariably, no, your bad decisions are punishing you. You live a sinful life, you get sinful consequences. You're in the find out phase of, of mess around and find out. That, that's, it, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, he shall reap. And, and so if we live a life of deceit and, and untrustfulness and sinfulness, then we are going to reap it. And of course, the third area that we talked about is the devil. And Paul says this, he says, according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Well, what that says is that our sinful decisions that line up with the world, the enemy actually comes and animates those areas of our life that are sinful. There is a supernatural power that comes upon us when we partner with the evil one. It is just not a good supernatural power. Just because something looks supernatural does not mean that it's God. And we are need to have discernment. Amen. We need to have discernment. 
I, I, if, you, if you talk to non-believers long enough, you will see their misguided views of who Jesus is. And they say, well, I do this, Pastor, and, and that happens. I'm like, yes, that sounds like you have a demon that you're working with. That is not the Holy Spirit of God. That is sin. And I wish that you would come to Jesus so we can get that worked out of our lives. But, but this fight that we feel, like all, all believers, we're in a fight, all humans, we're in a fight whether we know it or not. And, and, and as you try to follow Jesus, maybe you're new to Christ and uh, you feel this fight. You feel, you feel the heaviness or maybe you've been in Christ a long time. We had a prayer meeting here Sunday night and uh, I asked people just, you know, what, what, what are you experiencing? What do you see God doing in our church right now? And there was a list of just amazing testimonies of what God is doing. But at the same point, many people talked about the spiritual warfare that they were going through, the, the, the enemy attacking, the enemy tempting, the enemy trying to confirm bad decisions should be made in tough situations. There are, there are bad decisions. The enemy always has bad advice ready for you. He always has some bad advice. If you're not sure what to do, I've never met with anybody and they just said, Pastor, I don't know what the devil wants me to do right now. I don't, I don't have any idea. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I just, I have no clue what the devil would want me to do in this situation. But if you actually think about that every now and then, you might figure out what you should do. <laughs> what, what would the enemy want you to do here? Okay, that's, that's what I'm tempted to do. And, but there's this warfare, like, and we, and we sense it being believers in this world. You sense it because, because it's real. Um, there, there's this fight that's happening outside our body in this, in this world between heaven and hell, good and evil. There is, there is warfare over righteousness. There's warfare over, over godliness. There's warfare out there, but there's, there's warfare in here. And, and, and later in this, this book of Ephesians, Paul goes on after he talks about these three areas of the enemy fighting with believers. He, he tells them, hey, this, this fight is not against flesh and blood. The, the fight in the Middle East is not against ISIS. It's not against them. It's not against the people coming across the border. It's not against Democrats. It's not against Republicans. This, this is spiritual battle that we're involved in. This is, we cannot let the enemy trick us into not seeing the root of the real problem, and that is the devil. That is the enemy. That is sin and how sin is normalized in our lives, and in this world. This is the real fight that Christians are involved in. And as I'm going to keep hammering this home, as election season is upon us, it is the goal of certain politicians to dehumanize their opponents. And they, when you dehumanize somebody, you can kill them. And they want us to dehumanize people. They want us to de dehumanize the, the, the political opposition. They want us to human, dehumanize uh, maybe our national opposition. But these are people made in God's image. And it's important that we rise above that. We don't, we don't allow the devil to rob us of seeing people, every single person as created in God's image. Amen. This is where the enemy starts working. If we can see things through the eyes of the enemy, then we start doing things that please the enemy. But we need to see things through the eyes of Jesus who died for every one of these people. Yeah. Every one of these people. Both, both sides of, of what's happening in Israel right now, he, 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 all those people were created in Jesus' image. We have to remember that. And, and so, so we talk about this, this, this fight that we're in against the world, the flesh, and the blood. And this is the enemy's strategy that we have talked about 
throughout this message series. I'm going to catch you up if you've missed any of the early ones. I would really encourage you to go back. Deceitful ideas, which are where the enemy works. We have ideas and the enemy animates them, which are lies. Deceitful ideas appeal to disordered desires. That is the flesh that are normalized in sinful society. The last two weeks, we talked about the devil and that's primary way of working through lies. And, and, and the devil, we have to remember, is a brilliant strategist. He, he's, a, he's a brilliant strategist. He, he, he is the ultimate marketer. He has the greatest algorithm in the world. He knows exactly how to appeal to us to do things God does not want but today we're going to talk about the flesh. We're going to, we're going to hopefully work out a theology of flesh. Uh, maybe look at the scriptures on what the flesh is and, 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 and how possibly we can get our body to stop agreeing with the enemy and maybe walk in the life that Jesus has for us. How many would like that? I would. But so what is the flesh? Let's, let, let's, let's talk a little about the flesh. The flesh in the Bible is like uh, many words in English that have Many different meanings that have nothing to do with one another. There's many words in English. If you come from another language and you learn a word and you realize it has three different, like, like the word well can be just you pausing or it can be a hole in the ground with water. Like why, why, why the same word for those two things, right? But it has, it has several meanings. Well, the word uh, flesh has several meanings in the scriptures. I'm going to go over a couple of them really quick. The one just means your body, the, the thing that's holding your, 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 your innards from falling out, right? Like the, so that you're not a blob on the ground. We have flesh, right? First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16, Paul says, Do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says, the two shall become one flesh, one body. They are one body together. Uh, or it could mean all of humanity. Often in scripture, when you hear about flesh, uh, they're talking about kind of corporately man, meaning all men and women everywhere, as we see here in First um, Peter chapter 1. He says, all flesh is like grass and all its glory is like the flower of grass. He's talking about all flesh, meaning humanity. Humanity passes away. This is what he's saying. Humanity, people, plural, pass away. But there's another um, unique way that it's used, especially when talking to the Jews, and he's talking about their ethnicity. It's important to understand this when you read the Bible, that the Jews had a great confidence in being Jews. The fact that I'm a Jew means God is on my side. We're going to have a Messiah. We're going to win. And as Christ came, time and again in the scriptures, they're told, do not lean on that. Here's what he says in uh, Philippians chapter 3. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and take pride in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. And, and we say no confidence in the flesh, meaning um, I, I can't white-knuckle my way to heaven. I, I can't be good enough to get to heaven. I can't just because I'm born from Christian parents that I will automatically be a Christian. Your, 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 your faith can't be in that your dad is a pastor. Your faith can't be in the fact that you grew up in church. Your faith can't be that you're Italian and Italians are Catholic. This is kind of my lineage. They're Catholic and therefore 
they're Christian. You cannot put any faith in that. Oh, no, no, we're, we're Orthodox. My family were, 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 were Greek Orthodox. and we're, No, no, you can't put any faith in that. You can only put faith in Jesus as opposed to the flesh. But um, there also is, uh, we, 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 um, the, the, as we look at the flesh, we see another kind of, another kind of usage of the flesh that manifests several ways. So when we talk about the world, the flesh, and the devil, um, we can't put just our confidence humanity. We, we don't, we don't, we don't, humanity itself is not evil, right? Your ethnicity, we can't, put, we can't put faith in our ethnicity, but ethnicity itself is not evil. Uh, but as we look at the word flesh. And, and by the way, I hope you came to study the word today because I got Bible for you. Hope you got a sharp pencil because we're going through the Bible today. I will preach more next week. Today, we are going to get in the Bible. Amen. So, so as we look at this, we see, we see how, how flesh is used a little different in different parts of scripture. And it talks about something not necessarily physical. In, in, in Ephesians chapter two, verse three, he talks about the cravings of the flesh. In Romans 7, he talks about that's where our sinful passions are. And in 1 Peter 2.10, this is where he, we see corrupt desires. Our corrupt desires. I'm going to give you a, a long one here. This is where it says in Urban's Dictionary of the Bible. Take my word for it. Go back and listen to this. You don't have to memorize this. It says that the flesh refers to the weaker aspects of the nature of humankind that are subject to temptation. If a person does not resist temptation, then the desire to sin will increase and the result will be spiritual bondage. When this happens, the individual will be enslaved to the desires of the flesh and will have the mindset of the flesh. The consequences will be corruption and the inability to discern God's revelation for himself. And so for our working definition today, we're not using that. That's probably a little long to work with. So here, what we're going to do is we just say the flesh is the, the base, animalistic, primal drive in us for self-gratification. The flesh, this is the, this, this, this is the flesh as it, as it pertains to food, as it pertains to sex, as it pertains to pleasure, as it pertains to power over other people, how it, it pertains to fear and how we deal with it. This is what we call the human condition, that we are living in the flesh. The human condition is that the flesh has fallen and the flesh has desires, and how we deal with those desires is how we deal with the flesh. And, and, and as, as we study and as we look at, at life, as we live in this world to some level, even if you've never studied theology and you've never met Jesus and you've never been convinced that there is sin, we all know that there's some sort of hierarchy of human needs, right? We get that. We, we understand that there's, everybody has human desires and, and we all have a desire to be in control, right? Control of what we do, control of our circumstances, control of our future, like, like, some of us had to learn the hard way. You can't punch someone every time you get mad, right? Like that's something we have to learn. That is not a good long-term strategy for life, right? It's just, it's just, it's just not good. There's, uh, it reminds me of the girl who uh, really wanted some help because she'd been fired from her job. And she said, you know, but I missed about three quarters of the day since I got hired. But, you know, I had good reason every time. I'm like, ooh, you got to wake up. 
You got to wake up and go to work or you lose the job, right? Like we all want to sleep. We like sleeping, but at some point we got to get up and go to work, right? Uh, that's, 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 we, we, we learn that there's this, there's this hierarchy. We, we can't act on every desire that hits our flesh, right? Like, like every time we're in lust, we can't react to that. Or you go to jail for that, right? Like that, that's, that's how people go to jail, right? We, we, and, and, and in Revival Life Church, we do a background check to make sure we don't have anybody like that serving with the kids, right? Like that's, that's amen. 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 There are societies that, that don't have that normalized, and so they have entire trains of their subway dedicated just for women to ride in because it's so normalized to just act out on your lust. And assault is not shameful. And so we're thankful that we're not there, amen? Because then the reaction to punch would be far more often, yeah? You know what I mean? That would, that would give way to other sins. That, that's, that, that, that's how that would work. But we can't, we can't just react to every, every, every sinful desire we get or every fleshly desire that aren't even sinful, like sleep. Sleep is a good thing, but we, 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 we can't go to bed and nap every time we're depressed. We got we to get up and go to work. You might like, I don't feel like it, but, I ha- but, but we know... I got, I got to go to work, right? And so as we look at these needs and, and, and psychologists talk about this hierarchy of needs, we see that there's like higher level needs and, and lower level needs. And, and the higher ones, higher desires, excuse me, that we have in, in Christianity, we would say they, live, they lead to life abundant. They lead to the abundant life. And this is what we desire. And the lower ones, if we, if we give into them, they're called base desires. And they don't lead to life, but to death and destruction. And, and we want to avoid the base desires that lead to death and destruction. We want to lean into the higher ones that lead to life. And, and these desires that lead to death and destruction are what the New Testament calls the flesh. Here's what, here's what John said. He said, for all that's in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. God did not give us these, these, these lustful desires. That's not where they came from. This world that has normalized these sins is not reflective of God's nature. I remember before I knew God, I thought that I was, I was a slave to my desires. And I thought that since I was a slave to these desires... This is how God created me. And I would be very angry with God that he created me in ways that I had desires and impulses that I could not control. And I would fight with them and I would tell God, you know, you made me this way. And so I was mad, not that I acted on these things, but I acted on these things and didn't want to. The problem is with that I wanted to control these desires, but I had no power to control them because I didn't know Jesus. And so I blamed God on my inability to control my inner life. Then I met God. Then I met God. You see, lust of the flesh is represented of disordered bodily desires. We have desires, but they're out of order. When our desires cause us to lose jobs, lose friends, lose trust, then we know we have some desires that are disordered or out of order. You may have a, a glass of wine with dinner, but when you see yourself drinking a glass or two or three before you can fall asleep, now we have desires that are disordered. Yeah. Do you understand what I'm saying? 
And some people, since that desire is so disordered genetically, they have to completely leave it. Completely. But you might say, what does this matter? What, what, why, why would God care that I leave my desires unchecked? What, what, what does it matter? If I'm not hurting anybody else, what does it matter? See, that is a logical fallacy. You see, the truth is that we are all connected to one another. You are connected to your family. Your family is connected to other families. We are in a society. We are all connected together. And every sin against yourself or against other people is a sin against God. It is a sin against God and normalizes the rejection and conviction of the Holy Spirit. Even when people agree to sin together, it still leads to destruction. This is the truth. Let me tell you a little story, if you don't mind. I watched this um, series Chernobyl recently. Anybody watch this? Anybody in here watch Chernobyl? Good, right? Great, great. great. Yeah, I mean, terrible, awful, horrible, amazing. Right? Just it's this great show. Now, if you don't know what Chernobyl is, it, that, that irritates me that I'm that much older than you. Um, but but uh, in the former Soviet Union in uh, 1986, in, uh, in, in Chernobyl, what is now Ukraine, it was Ukraine then, but it was owned by the Soviet Union, um, they, there was a nuclear power plant. And short story, uh, it blew up. It didn't melt down, it, 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 it blew up. And in the Soviet Union, the number one goal of everyone in the country, as dictated by the government, was that you promote the Soviet Union. You don't say anything that's against the Soviet Union. You don't talk bad about the leadership of the Soviet Union. You, even if you have to lie, this is what you do. And so here's what would happen. Um, say, say they needed certain, you know, 100,000 vials of insulin had to come out of this factory every month in the Soviet Union. You had to prove that the Soviet Union was better than um, any kind of market capitalism, that communism was better. And so if they got near the end of the month and they didn't have enough, they would just pump out vials of water so that they could say that they met the quota. Look, our factory is perfect. We did 100,000 vials just like we're supposed to. And then some poor soul would go to the doctor, get their insulin, it would turn out to be water, and they would die. This happened all over the economy in every sector from the military to the agriculture, all the way through. Now, if your loved one died of having an injection of water instead of insulin, your goal, your purpose, your mission was to make the Soviet Union look good so you could not blame the state. Or you would get trucked off to a concentration camp, re-education camp. They would send you to Siberia where you would work in mines. You had to perpetuate the lie that the Soviet Union was perfect and that communism is perfect. This is where uh, Cuba still is today, unfortunately. This is where North Korea is today. This is where totalitarian regimes operate. The goal is not to actually be good, it's to look good. And so that is fine if you're just making, I don't know, maybe flower pots. Uh, it's fine if you're making socks, possibly. But if you're using that philosophy to run a nuclear power plant, that's a problem. Because we need them not just to look good, we need them to work. Because if they don't, Lots of people die. And so this thing blew up. It absolutely blew up. And uh, there was a scientist who said, I'm pretty sure the reactor has blown up. And all the, the, the political people said, no, it didn't. And he's like, um, no, I'm, I'm pretty sure 
Everybody who's there now is going to die. If we go there, we're going to die. And if we do nothing, there is a massive cloud of radiation that will slowly creep across north, northwest across Europe and millions upon millions of people will die and the land will be uninhabitable for thousands of years. We have to be real about what's happening. We have to take care of this thing. And so this entire series is about this battle between the political machine that wants to make the Soviet Union look good, and some scientists who actually care about people not dying. Fortunately, in the very end, science kind of won out. I would, I, would, I would recommend watching the series. It's, it's really good. The problem here is, and the reason I bring this up is, they normalized the sin of lying because they believe it was better for the Soviet Union. But we never benefit from lies. Amen. You never benefit from lying. It, 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 it's... It never leads to where you want to go. We make these rationalistic choices to sin based on disordered desires. They had a desire of looking good over the lives of people. Whereas the safety and health of the people in their country was supposed to be number one. Does that make sense? This is, again, what we call disordered desires. And it's our goal. We all have desires. Desire is a good thing. Desires come from God. God has desires. God desires us. He desires to live with us. He desires to be loved by us. He desires to show his love to us. And being made in his image, we are created with desires. And we desire all kinds of things, both good and bad. We desire things like a nice house and intimate relationships. Um, and uh, the other day, I really desired a Snickers bar. And uh, we desire maybe a new job. And we desire competing things. Like I desire to lose weight. And so I'm weighing myself every day and I'm, I'm trying to work out. I'm trying to eat less. At the same point, I had a bowl of popcorn before I went to bed, right? So we have these competing desires constantly at war within us. And, and our desires range from basic desires like food and drink and rest and, and to the deepest longing of our souls. Disordered desires are harmful because they bring about our destruction. Now, I'm going to put a picture up, and I don't, there's no hate, so don't get triggered, right? Um, I don't know if you saw this. In, in last month's Vogue magazine, um, Ariana Grande did a, uh, an interview about stuff. Now, let me say this as an aside. This has nothing to do with my message. Here's what social media has taught me. I had no idea that women had like battle plans for makeup. I had no clue the, 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 the strategic work and planning to make yourself look like something you're not. I just didn't know what it took before social media. Like you, you're just flipping on social media and then you see a woman with these lines on her faces and you're like, what is she doing? And then they start blending. And I'm like, you know, dudes, psh, that, that's, eh, that would never happen with us. If our socks match, we're happy, right? Like that's, that's a win for us. Like, oh, I have two of the same socks on. I'm like, today is a, I'm, I'm made up well, right? Like that's, that's fellas, right? So that, that's the one thing. And that has nothing to do with this message. But Ariana Grande, she, she did this interview and she was going through her um, beauty secrets is what, the, what kind of the thing was. The beauty. Did anybody see this video? Does anybody see the, any, any, any Grande stands in the, in the room who would admit to it? Okay. So, so um, 
here, here, here's what I want to talk about. In her, in her um, makeup, her beauty secrets thing, in the middle of it, she got a little vulnerable. Now, Ariana Grande grew up a mile and a half from my house. Same road, very different neighborhood, right? Like it just, <laughs> she, the Grande's been rich for a minute, right? Like, they, like she grew up wealthy, uh, but that's another story. Um, anyways, uh, uh, Lord, let it be. If, you, if, if it is your desire that I would move into that neighborhood, let your will, not mine, be done. Um, but, um, but she talks about her beauty tickets, and, and she got emotional about halfway through this thing, and she actually stopped the video because she started crying a little bit. She talked about, um, how she got to a place in her life where she recognized that she was abusing lip fillers and Botox. And she said, it almost became like a mask against my true self. Now, here, here's, here's why I'm bringing this up. No shade to Ariana Grande. She made herself very vulnerable. She said that after a period of years, she had to stop using it because she found that it was, it was destructive. She said she stopped using it in 2018 after five years. That's I did the math. She was 25. She was 25 when she realized she'd been doing it too much. Now, what society do we live in that tells a 23-year-old Ariana Grande she doesn't look young enough? This is the society our kids are growing up in. This is where these lies are being normalized. That a, a, a worldwide, phenomenal, beautiful, talented, gifted, wealthy girl still is not enough. But she has to abuse these kind of things. And she, if, if, if Ariana Grande can be blackmailed by the devil about not being beautiful enough, what, what, what's, what's, what's happening to our kids? What's happening to our friends and family who are lost, who don't know the love that comes from Jesus? And, and here's what she says in it, and, and I'm going to try to not, not choke up when I say this. She said, we all talk about beauty secrets. Isn't the secret that we all just want to feel our best and to be loved? Yes. As a matter of fact, yes. This, this is our deepest desire. Our deepest desire is not that our lips look full or that we look 22 again. Our deepest desire is to feel beautiful and loved. And this is what we learn about this. This is not a war that can be won in the flesh. There isn't enough lip filler, Botox. There isn't enough lift shoes to make you tall enough. There, there's just not enough things on this planet that will get you out of this war. You cannot fight it in the flesh. It's not bad to want your country to look good like they did in the Soviet Union. But when you love your country's image more than the truth about your country, that's a disordered desire. It's not bad to love being beautiful, but when you let Hollywood define what beauty is, you have a disordered desire. You can love food, for example, but if you love it more than not wanting diabetes, we have a disordered desire. You can desire to feel sexual attraction, but when you love it outside of your marriage, it is a disordered desire. And, and this is, as we look at, as we, as we desire to get victory over these disordered desires, if we, as we desire to push back the enemy and we desire to talk back to him and put him in his place, we want to come from the word of God to figure out how to put the devil in his place so that we can rise up to where God has us. Amen? amen. And so, yeah, amen, amen, amen. 
So let's take a look here. Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Here's what Paul says. He's, or the writer of Galatians. I don't believe it was Paul, but that's, that's irrelevant. Oh, no, I do. Galatians is Paul. I'm sorry. Hebrews, I don't think so. Galatians, yes. Hebrews, who knows? All right, Galatians 5.1. He says, it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. Of slavery. He says, listen, you have been saved. Jesus has saved you, washed you clean, given you a new identity. Don't become slaves again. And this, this is where really bad biblical studies pervert the word of God. In the world of biblical authors, the, the freedom that we're supposed to come into, the, what, the, what, what the writers of Scripture, when they talk about freedom, it's very different than this post-enlightenment idea of freedom. The biblical authors say, we should be free from oppression. We should be free of being slaves. And the biblical authors, they're saying, you know, we, we, we should be free from people forcing us, things that, forcing us to do things that are harmful to our lives. But in today's society, as a post-enlightenment society, what we think of is, I should be able to do whatever I want to do. I should be free to do whatever I feel like doing. Whatever my desires are, I should be free, accepted, and encouraged to do that. It's a very different notion. Why is this important? And why is he telling us to be careful? Because we talked last week, there, if there is a creator, then there is a design. There's a design, there is an intent. If there is intent, there is morality. You were designed for a purpose. And if there is morality, there is accountability. When you oppress someone made in God's image, you are sinning because that person was not created to be oppressed. That, so we can make a rightful judgment that if you are abusive in your marriage, you are in sin. And you say, well, this is what my people do. This are, your people then are sinful. They have normalized sin because this is a person created in God's image. Therefore, this is sin because there is a creator and he sets the rules. As opposed to in our world, what my desires are set the rules. I should be free to fulfill whatever enters my heart. The goal here is that if there's no creator, there's no accountability. We're all free to set up our own moral standards. If there's no accountability, there's no lies. We can say whatever we want, and it's the truth because it's my truth. I want you to listen for that statement. It's my truth. Well, your truth happens to be a lie. I have no problem saying that. Judges have no problem saying that. Your truth is a lie. Police officers, no problem saying that. I was not speeding. I have a radar gun, says you were speeding. Honey, you said you'd be home at five. No, no, I told you I was home at seven. Why, are you paranoid? That's called gaslighting, right? Lying, it's normalized lying. Let, let, let's stay here. In the book of Galatians, if there's no, there's no objective truth, watch this. And the reader, if you read Galatians 5, it goes on to say this. He says, you are running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? He's telling you, this didn't come from God. You, you were following Jesus, and all of a sudden, someone has lied to you to tell you to do whatever you feel like doing. It's not a problem. Go ahead. Make up your own rules. Everybody gets to make up their own rules. Do whatever feels good to you. Sorry. 
back one. Oh, there we go. It's 5.13, watch this. You were called to freedom, brothers and sisters, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. You see how the writer is making a very clear distinction here. He's making a very clear distinction. You have fleshly desires and you have not been set free so that you can fulfill them. That is not the point of freedom. The point of freedom is we don't have to be a slave to do things that is harmful for us. Now in the New Testament, slavery is when you have to do something you don't want to do that is not good for you or the society. Now whether that's making bricks for Pharaoh or drink whenever you get the urge. That, 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 that could be, that, 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 that could be uh, you know, supporting an oppressive system or that, that could be being forced to be an unsex, unclean sexual sin when you get the urge. What, what Jesus did not come so that you wouldn't feel bad. <laughs> he didn't come so that you, wouldn't, that you wouldn't feel convicted. He didn't come so that you wouldn't be conflicted about obeying your animalistic desires. He came to set you free from the power of sin and death. This is what Jesus came for, to set you free from the power of sin and death. And this is what I want to let you know. Your strongest desire is rarely your deepest desire. Your strongest desire is rarely your deepest desire. The thing that compels you the most. Now, it doesn't feel that way in the moment of temptation. In the moment of temptation, our strongest desires feels like our deepest desires. It feels like it's going to meet our deepest desires. We feel lonely, and pornography feels like it will fill a void that I'm feeling in my soul. But your deepest desire is not pornography. I'm depressed, and so I know I'm battling with my weight, but I'm going to go ahead and eat 3,000 calories of cake. I can't stop right now. That is not your deepest desire. Your deepest desire is that you would feel comfort and love. And that sugar rush is doing something that God wants to do at a very deeper level. The writers of the Bible, they're very clear on this. Being true to yourself is like the worst advice that you could give someone. They say, be true to your strongest desire. And it is rarely your deepest desire. The Christian fathers and mothers of the church, the Christ himself would argue, be true to yourself is terrible advice. In, 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 in 2 Peter, Peter talks about this. He's talking about false teachers who came in and, and, and tried to seduce people by their deepest desire. He would sow fear among people and lure them away from good doctrine. And, and, and he says here in 2 Peter 2, he said, they promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves to depravity. For people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. Jesus came that you might be free. And I'm not asking for hands, but anybody here feel mastered by something? Anybody here like there's desires and there's things in your life that you're doing that are out of your control? The Bible calls that slavery. And I'm not here to make you feel bad about it, but I'm here to point out that it is bad and that there is another way. Here's also what I want you to know. The person who lies to you the most is probably you. The person who lies to you to the most is you. You tell yourself the worst lies in your life. 
with friends like you who needs enemies, right? <laughs> and sometime, at some point, we got to learn to talk back to ourselves. I want to share something, a prophetic word really quick that um, came out through a group discussion Sunday night. People were talking about the warfare that they're in. And at the same point, so many supernatural manifestations happening in the lives. It was just the, the stories of angelic encounters and, and, and prophetic uh, occurrences. Just, it, it, was, it was blowing my mind. And it's hard to do that for me, right? I, 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 I just believe all this stuff. But, but there was also another theme is I can't bring last season into this season. I can't bring the condemnation. I can't bring the, the fear. I can't bring the sin. I can't bring the judgment. I can't bring the bitterness. I can't bring it into this season. I need to be free of that. And our deepest desires are to be loved. Our deepest desires are to be safe. Our deepest desires are to be known. Our deepest desires are to live life of purpose. These are our deepest desires. Our deepest desire, whoops, I'm, I'm flying all over the place here. Watch out, watch out. Here we go. One, two, here we go. Three, bam. I'm going to get this good. When we go live with this church, I'm going to have this thing so figured out. Our deepest desire is to flourish and to have life with abundance. This is what you were created for. You were created to live life with purpose and abundance. Are, are you guys okay? Can I just share a little bit more? Are, are, are you getting anything out of this? Yeah. Amen. But our deepest desires are often sabotaged by our strongest desires. Anybody ever seen the Dave Chappelle kit, skit, I Keep It Real? Anybody see that? I keep it real. There's a person who knows like, hmm, I don't want to go back to jail, but that person scuffed my shoe and now I have to choose violence because I keeps it real. Like, no. When, and so the skit is when keeping it real goes wrong, right? That's That's there's a whole society telling us to keep it real. And then there's like a whole society of flourishing that says, you might want to worry about bigger things than that nonsense. You just, you just might want to do a little delayed gratification. And keeping your job might be realer than, than, than hurting the person who stepped on your shoe. You, you, you might want to, like your strongest desire may not actually be your deepest desire. And you might want to go after your deepest desire. Authentic <laughs> does not lead to flourishing in life, but to slavery and death. That, that's, that's the premise of that entire skit. And the solution to that problem is not willpower. Willpower will not do it. And there are people selling all kinds of courses and all kinds of books telling you how to get your willpower together and, and how you can just white knuckle your way through life. And Paul says, guess what? Willpower will not do it. What you need is spirit power. Spirit power will get you in freedom that willpower will never get you to. It, 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 it just, it, it, this is why Jesus prayed to the Father, sanctify them, set them apart from this world in truth. Your word is truth. When we're living in the word, we're living in the truth. This is, this is the life that Jesus wanted for us all along. This is how Paul teaches it in Galatians chapter 5. Watch this. He says, but I say, walk by the Spirit. You will not carry out the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh is against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, for these are in opposition to one another, in order to keep you from doing whatever, what? 
This is 2,000 years old. There's nothing new under the sun. They were in, in this little backwater village in, in, in these outskirts of the Greek empire dealing with the exact same things we're dealing with today. The devil has no new tricks. Walk in the Spirit. The truth is that Jesus came, born of a virgin, and He never sinned. He lived a life in the Spirit. And since He lived in the Spirit, and since He was the Word of God, He was a slave to no one. When, when, when the rulers of Rome tried to challenge him, there was nothing in him that could give a rise. When, when, the, when the, the Israeli leaders, the leaders of the church, the leaders of the temple, the leaders of the synagogue tried to challenge him, nothing in him would get a rise. They had nothing in him. He lived in the spirit, yet they murdered him like a sinner, like a rabble rouser like a contentious person. They killed him and he died for real. And what was he doing while he was dead? He was being dead, right? He died so that he could be raised from the dead. If you have a theology that Jesus didn't actually really die, then you don't have a resurrection. We have to have a resurrection. Father, raise Jesus from the dead by his spirit. And in that, why did Jesus have to die? Because he needed to be raised from the dead. And when he was raised from the dead, he conquered death. He conquered death and he is raised up into heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father. And he's pouring out his spirit on those who call upon the name of Jesus and ask for the infilling of the spirit. And it is that infilling of the spirit that gives you power over the devil, power over slavery, power over sin, power over the thoughts that keep you up at night, power over your flesh that says, just go ahead and punch him in the throat. It'll be okay. You can get away with it this one time. Power to keep yourself faithful in your marriage, power to pay your taxes and know God is going to bring more money, power to be generous. This is what the Holy Ghost has promised those who would believe. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on up, band. Well, I'm, 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 I could keep preaching, but I'm going to end here. Come on. Come on up, band. Come on up, band. Come on up, band. This is, this is, this is, and then and in Hebrews, he goes through, watch this. He goes through what the flesh produces. This is, it's important that you get this when we're in the flesh. He says, now, now the deeds of the flesh are evident. What does that mean? They're evident. It means, it means you don't got to look hard to figure this out. I missed something. I'm good. Thank you. I appreciate that. I feel affirmed. I feel known and affirmed. The deeds of the flesh are evident. We don't got to look hard for this. The sexual immorality. Gay. Well, look at that. Look what we found in the Bible. There is such a thing. There is sexual immorality. Impurity. Indecent behavior. Idolatry. Witchcraft. Hostility. Strife. Jealousy. Outbursts of anger. Selfish ambition dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Friends, we live in a world, like I just described the world we live in, yeah? Will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
That means we live in a world of people who will not inherit the kingdom of God. Does that bother you? Does it affect you at all that the person you laugh with at work on Monday, when the great day of judgment comes, will not hear, enter in, good and faithful servant? Man, this better. If you believe that, that needs to bother us. That, that needs to bother us. That needs to torment us. That, that, not torment to the point of being tormented, but that, that needs to weigh on our soul. There is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. There is a righteousness to inherit and a curse to be rejected. There, there is a salvation that needs to be received and a condemnation that needs to be rejected. And we better recognize that the people in our lives need to get somewhere where they can hear the gospel. We need to get them under the preaching of the gospel. This, I, I, have been, I, have, I have been convicted by the Spirit of God. The cloud has come and visited me. And I am like, there are, Boca Raton is going to hell. We need a gospel witness in this city. We need to let people know that you do not need to live in this slavery. You do not need to live in the slavery of sin. You do not need to live in the slavery of oppression. You do not need to live in the slavery of anxiety. You do not need to live in the slavery of sexual addiction. You don't got to be John the Baptist. You, you, don't, you don't have to be Billy Graham. But you need to be a witness. We need to be a witness. Listen, we got invitation cards in the, in the lobby. We can just say, yeah, I've been through that, you know. God really helped me. You might want to come to my church. No one's going to make you do anything. Just come and hear the good news. Plenty of bad news in the world today, but there is some good news. The good news is that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. He has conquered sin and death. And all those who put their faith in Him will have everlasting life. That's good news, friend. Amen? That's good news. That is good news. And this is... This is where Paul moves us to in Galatians. He moves on and teaches us. The fruit of the Spirit is your longest desire. Your deepest desire. What your heart craves. What your soul is hungry for. Love. Joy. Peace. Patience. Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. Gentleness self-control against such things there is no law because this is what you were created for friend this is abundant life stand with me if you would listen if you're not a follower of Jesus and I don't just mean I believe I don't I don't I don't mean my mom is Catholic or I got got christened when I was 10 days old I'm not I'm not talking about you know, I'm a Jew or I'm a good person. None of these things of the flesh will save anybody. I'm talking about following actively in your life. If you're not following Jesus, I would challenge you today to make a decision. Make a decision to follow Jesus. Make a decision to follow Jesus today. I am going to be a follower of Christ. I'm praying for all of us today that we will receive a fresh baptism of the Spirit. When we look at Ephesians chapter 2, oh man, we see, we see, 
we see the, the world that Paul talked about. We see, the, we see the flesh that he talked about that is the subject of wrath. And we see the devil, the liar from the beginning. But he adds one more verse in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. By faith. Faith in the risen Son of God. You are saved. Not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Shekhabah. Shekhabah. I would like today for us to put our faith in Jesus once again to choose to believe the gospel once again to choose to be witnesses of the gospel again to be people of the gospel again because Jesus promised to those who believe will be filled with the spirit of God and they will cast out devils in his name and they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. The dead will be raised to life. Those with skin disorders will be healed. They will have rivers of living water coming out of their belly. Can you say amen? And so I want to pray today for a fresh baptism of the Spirit. A fresh baptism of the Holy Ghost that we come after the infilling, after the reception of Christ, after putting our faith in God. And so I'm going to say a prayer. And I would like you to repeat after me with that prayer. And then we're going to sing. And while we're singing, I'm going to pray for you. Amen? Now, I don't care if you're young or old. If you put your faith in Jesus 40 years ago or 40 minutes ago, we're going to pray this prayer together out loud. Unless you've decided you're not ready to follow Jesus yet, then keep your mouth shut and save this moment for when you decide to become a Jesus follower. But I pray that you would open it today. I also believe that the Spirit of God is going to force someone to open it today. Because the Lord has decided today is your day. And I would say do not fight it because that is what's going to bring you the freedom your heart has desired.